So I wanna uh, invite you on a journey, uh, a journey uh, through the Gospel of John. And I know for many of you, it's uh, perhaps a familiar uh, Gospel, uh, but I'm just asking God to, to use it in our lives uh, over these next, two, uh, next few weeks as we uh, study together from God's Word. As you're finding that first chapter of John's uh, uh, Gospel, uh, I wanna uh, throw up a picture there that some of you may recognize. Uh, C.S. Lewis, uh, years ago now, uh, wrote a series of books, uh, The Chronicles of Narnia, uh, and then uh, it was uh, turned uh, in in recent years to, uh, I think they did three of the books, uh, three uh, feature films that that did very, very well at at the the box office, and the, the lion figure, Aslan, is a picture of, was this symbol of Jesus Christ. And in the book Prince Caspian, I don't know that this exact scene was kept captured in the movie, uh, but in the book of Prince Caspian, there comes that moment when Lucy, the, the young girl who was one of the central human characters, uh, kind of runs into or comes face to face with Aslan all over again. And as she's doing that, she, she, says, she says, Aslan, you're bigger in fact, is if you watch the movies, the, uh, he actually, the lion physically got bigger uh, through the, the, the movies as well. And he answered, uh, this is because you are older, little one. Not because you are, Lucy asked. I am not, he said. But every year you grow, you will find me bigger. And that's part of our desire. As we open up God's word and, and we come particularly to the gospel of John and maybe you think I've been there, done that, or I've read that or, or studied that or maybe even taught that or whatever it might be. But, but one of the things happens is we come to God's word. As we come with an open heart and an open mind, what we find is that God gets bigger. Christ gets bigger because he is growing in us a capacity to recognize him for who he is. As we dive into this gospel and we invite him to help us to see him as bigger uh, than he is, it would help us to know what the purpose of this gospel was. What, What is the purpose that John felt it necessary? Because by the time John wrote this gospel, there was already Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Why did John feel the necessity to write this gospel? And he tells us toward the end of the gospel. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. The the whole reason for this is that you would believe that you might have life, that you might have an understanding of uh, of the greatness of God. Uh, I'll give you a couple of Greek words today. Uh, The Greek word translated believe here uh, is is at its root, the the Greek word pistuo. Pistuo is translated believe. It appears 98 times in the Gospel of John. That's multiple times 
per chapter. So it would behoove us to ask as we kind of enter into this journey, what does John actually mean by believe? Because it may be different than how we tend to use the word believe in our culture. There are at least two aspects of this understanding of believe that John would have had and is inviting us to. The first is to acknowledge truth is truth. To, to acknowledge what, what, what Jesus said about himself, what he did, what he claimed, what he promised. This is true. And so belief has a, an intellectual component, a mental component, an understanding component that I would acknowledge truth as truth. Now, I know we live in an age where sometimes we folks want to claim, well, there really is no such thing as truth. And John would challenge that. He would say to acknowledge truth as truth. But for many folks, that's kind of where they stop when they come to the understanding of belief. But John understands it to be so much more. It is also to trust, to rely upon, to derive a confidence in someone or something that we believe, that we trust, we rely upon, we, we act in confidence based on someone or something. I would suggest to you that everybody lives by belief. Everybody lives by faith in someone or something. The question isn't some people believe and some people don't. The reality is everybody believes, everybody trusts, everybody relies on, everybody has confidence in someone or something. The only difference is what is the object of your faith? Who are you trusting and relying on? What are you acknowledging as truth? So as we dive in, understand John's gospel is no mere biography. He had no interest in just recording another biography, but it is an invitation. It is an invitation to believe. It's an invitation to trust. It's an invitation to life. It's an invitation to allow God to show himself bigger than you ever imagined him to be. And in so doing, to grow you more and more into the person that he designed you to be. Chuck Swindoll put it this way, the gospel of John is an invitation to believe in the Son of God, to become his disciples, to deepen our understanding of his identity and mission, and to grow in maturity, and to join him in tending his sheep. And so I invite you, let's journey together with John as our guide to encounter again the greatness of Jesus Christ. And he begins his gospel differently than the other gospel writers do. He begins by focusing on the greatness of Christ. He doesn't begin with a human genealogy. He doesn't begin with a babe in Bethlehem. He doesn't begin with a story of, of Jesus' childhood or growing up years. He begins actually before all of that. He begins before the beginning of time. Look at the first three verses. In the beginning, was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. One more Greek word. The Greek word translated word here is logos. It had a profoundly significant concept among philosophers really for at least three centuries before Christ. 
In pagan philosophy, it pointed toward that, that uncreated divine mind that gives meaning and order to the universe. And so John writing, and he's writing to a particular audience, and he's writing, and he says, you know that, that philosophy, that understanding uh, of logos, word? Well, the philosophers got it partly right. It really does exist. It exists because there is a God, and that God is Jesus Christ. And so in these first few verses, he says, let me, let me enlarge your understanding of Jesus. He is the one who was eternally preexistent. In the beginning was the word, before there was a, a planet, before there was uh, human beings, before there were stars, before there were oceans and mountains, there was God. He was eternally preexistent, and he was eternally in relationship. He was uh, with God and the Word was God. That there was this relationship in eternity. There was this Father and Son and Spirit that God has existed in community, in relationship from the very beginning. He is eternally preexistent, eternally in relationship, but He is, John says, understand, eternally God. The Word was with God and the Word was God. And then he reminds us that he is eternally the creator. That everything that has been made was made through him. Without him was not anything made that was made. And Paul picked up on this. He understood this as he uh, was taking the gospel into the Gentile world. And he, he wrote to the Colossians of Jesus Christ for by him. All things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. This, this greatness of Jesus Christ. Now, please understand this important distinction. Every other belief system in the world has to devalue Jesus. Whether it's Judaism or Hinduism, whether it's Islam or Mormonism or whatever it is, take, take the pick. Every other belief system has to devalue Jesus. Now, they won't usually say it in devaluing terms. They may say, well, he was, he was a, a great moral man. He was a wonderful teacher. He's a, a great example. A great, he might even be a, a prophet or whatever it may be. But they have to devalue Jesus. They can't say that he is God because that changes everything. False teachers from John's day to the present day persist in claiming that Jesus Christ is not God, not co-eternal, not co-existent with the Father in eternity past. Many claim that he was perhaps the first created being, that the Father brought the Son into existence and the Son then brought everything else into being. Arius, a third century false teacher, was fond of saying, there was a time when he was not. There was a time when Jesus was not. 
And that teaching continues today as the official doctrine of uh, the the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, the Mormons, interestingly enough, and Jehovah's Witnesses. And both organizations have translated John's prologue to suit their theologies. Let me just give you one quick example from Joseph Smith. As he altered John's prologue in his inspired version of the scriptures, here are his words. Acknowledging Christ as an exalted figure, but not as equal with God. In the beginning, Joseph Smith says, was the gospel preached through the Son. And the gospel was the Word, and the Word was with the Son, and the Son was with God. And the Son was of God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by him, and without him was not anything made which was made. Important figure but not the same as God. Because every other belief system in the world has to devalue Jesus. Because if you claim that he is God, then you really need to pay attention to what he said and did, right? But if he's just a good teacher, just a prophet, just another religious guy, then everything changes. We start with the the greatness of the person of Jesus Christ. And then John builds on that and he says, let me tell you about the, the greatness of Christ's light, this light that came into the world. And let's, let, let's try to follow some of his argument here. He talks about Christ, first of all, as being the light that was revealed. The light that was revealed, verse four, in him was life. And the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Skip down to verse 9. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. So John describes Jesus as this this light, this light, this revelation of, of the true being and the true nature, the true desires of God. Christ has always sought to reveal himself to us. And that light continues to shine. Even today, even if you look at the headlines and you see what's happening around the world and you see what's happening to, to believers in, in China and different parts of Africa different parts of the world even today you see that there is darkness but in the midst of that darkness the light of Jesus Christ continues to shine forth Christ is the light the the life who is revealed but there's always been different reactions to the light the light was rejected by some it was rejected by some It says, into the world of darkness, but the darkness has not overcome it. It opposes it, but it has not overcome it. Skip down to verse 10. And he was in the world, and yet the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. Even Jesus, God in the flesh, walked the face of the earth. The light of Jesus Christ was rejected by some. Let us not be surprised 
that he is still rejected today. The light has always been opposed by darkness. It has always been rejected by people. But the good news is that Christ the light has also been received. It has also been received. And so while there is darkness and while there is opposition and while those who were all reject or try to remake Christ in their own understanding and image, verse 12 says, but to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. And we're going to talk more about that in just a moment, but I want you just to see that, yes, there will always be those that reject, but there will be those that receive. And God is, is working in hearts and lives, and we, we share the gospel, uh, knowing uh, that many will reject, but there are those that God has prepared their hearts, prepared their minds, prepared their lives for just that intersection of moment, and they will receive. They will receive. And that points us to the greatness of the good news of Jesus Christ. The greatness of this good news uh, that as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Let's pause there uh, for just a moment. Notice some things he's talking about, this good news, this light that has come. It, first of all, there's the greatness of its power. The greatness of its power that this light, this life of Jesus Christ, this good news of Jesus Christ has the potential to transform hearts and minds and lives and yes, even cultures and societies as it's been doing since the time of Jesus Christ. That's why Paul would say, I am not ashamed of the gospel. Will people ridicule it? Yes. Will people reject it? Yes. Will you perhaps be imprisoned because of it? Yes. Will you be beaten because of it? Yes. Might you lose your job because of it? Yes. But he says, I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone regardless of their background, regardless of, uh, of where they've come from or what they have done, for everyone who believes to the Jew first and also to the Greek. There is the greatness of the power of the light that has penetrated the darkness, but it's also a greatness of simplicity, a greatness of simplicity. You don't have to be a PhD to get it. <laughs> you don't have to have 20 years of study. You don't have to have certain levels of experience or intelligence. But a child can begin to understand it. In fact, his children are sometimes held up by Jesus as the example of, of, of a faith toward him, of, of believing and entrusting and relying upon him. This simple message that Jesus did for me what I could have never done for myself, that he came and had God in the flesh, uh, the, the word who became flesh and dwelt among us, as verse 14 says, we have seen his glory, glory as of the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. This, this simple message that God came in the flesh and he lived the life we were called to live, designed to live, created to live. He died the death that I deserve to die because of my sin and rebellion 
rebellion. He is resurrected from the dead, ascended to the Father, and coming again someday. And that message is an invitation, an invitation to entrust our lives to him. It is a simple message, and its simplicity is its greatness, but there's also the greatness of its benefits. The greatness of its benefits. Emil Bruner was a famous theologian of yesteryear. And he preached a sermon once uh, with with the the basic phrase that he focused on was faith, hope, and love. And in the context of that message, he said, every man, every woman has a past, a present, and a future. And every man and every woman has a problem in their past, a problem in their present, and a problem in their future. The problem of the past, he said, is sin. But God has the answer for that problem. The answer is faith. Faith in the death and the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. The problem of our future, he said, is death. But God has an answer to that problem. The answer to that problem is hope. Hope in Jesus Christ's return based on the historical fact of his resurrection and his promises. And the problem in our present is hate. Does that not seem so appropriate today? The problem in our present is hate, he wrote years ago. And God's answer to that problem is love. It is the love of Christ poured out into and lived out in the lives of those who trust him. The greatness of its benefits is that Jesus Christ did enough for the problems of my past, my present, and my future. Faith, hope, and love are tied up in him. So to put that together, to kind of put that in a a mathematical formula, if you will, from John uh, 12, the verse 12 there, believe plus receive equals become. Believe plus receive equals become. To all those who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Not born of blood, nor of the will of man, or of flesh, but of God. And that's always the invitation. To believe. To believe that Jesus is who he said he is. That he did what he uniquely could do. And to receive him personally into our life is the answer to our problems, the forgiver of our sin, the securer of our future, the empower of our our present. To receive him into our life is our rightful leader and Lord and our Savior and rescuer. And our hope and prayer is that if you're here in this room this morning and you have never really taken that step, You've known of Jesus, maybe even had good thoughts about Jesus, but you've never believed and received, you've never entrusted your past, present, and future to him. That today would be that day because that is the greatness of the good news that's founded on the greatness of the person and the work of Jesus Christ. But there's what other section I want you to see in these, these opening words, this prologue of John's gospel. And that is that he emphasizes to us again the greatness 
of Christ's uniqueness. Now, some of you perhaps have been reading through and you say, well, Jeff, you you skipped a few verses about John the Baptist. Come back next week. We're gonna talk about John the Baptist next week and and what God tells us about greatness uh, from the life of John the Baptist. Uh, But if we look down at verse 15, we're building on verse 14, uh, talks about John who bore witness to him. And then verse 16, for from his fullness, we have all received Grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses, and grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, the only God, who is at the Father's side. He has made him known. He reminds us of the uniqueness of Jesus Christ, that he has this unique origin, this unique origin that, that in the beginning was the Word, and, the, and then in verse 14, the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. We've seen His glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. There is this unique origin uh, that uh, John recognized and bore witness to, this unique origin of uh, John pointing to Jesus, but not only unique origin, but he became a unique channel of God's blessing, a unique channel of God's blessing. Did you notice there in verse 14, and then he picks up on it again uh, in, in verse 17, but he talks about he came full of grace and truth, grace upon grace. Verse 17, for the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. And I want you just to, to understand that term, grace and truth because we need both. And we tend by temperament to lean more toward one than the other. Randy Alcorn put it this way, truth without grace crushes people and ceases to be truth. Grace without truth deceives people and ceases to be grace. Truth without grace degenerates into judgmental legalism. Grace without truth degenerates into deceitful tolerance. Christ's heart is equally grieved by grace suppression and truth suppression, by grace twisting and truth twisting. Grace and truth are both necessary. Neither alone is sufficient. Jesus Christ came as this unique channel of God's blessing, full of grace and truth. And we desperately need both. We need to receive it, and we need to be channels and conduits of it into the lives of other people. And then as we've kind of been arguing all along, John says Jesus was this unique revelation of God. No one has ever seen God. We, we in our sinfulness could not lay eyes fully on the revelation of God and all of his holiness. So God revealed himself to us through Jesus Christ, who is at the Father's side. He has made him known. You want to know what God is like? Look to Jesus Christ, because he came as the light of the world. He came as the unique revealer of who God is. So as we kind of close our 
brief look at this prologue, what are the appropriate responses to the greatness of Christ? I mean, if you really understand, he's not just a moral guy, he's not just a great teacher, he's certainly much more than just a prophet or a disillusioned idealist. But it's this God in the flesh. What is the appropriate response to the greatness, the uniqueness of Jesus Christ? Let me just give you four thoughts to to maybe get us primed to go forward. The first is worship him. Worship him. For he is worthy. He is worthy. And again, not only do we not we all believe something and trust in something, we all worship something. And the only one who is worthy of our worship is Jesus Christ. Can I just stretch you on this? I know we're in such a weird season of life. I mean, my goodness, nobody could have thought January 1, this is what we were going to be doing this year, right? And in the midst of uncertainty, one of the greatest things you can do is to worship. Because there is nothing more empowering, nothing more settling, nothing more centering and peace-giving than truly worshiping Jesus Christ for who he is. And I would just encourage you, through this crazy time, it is more essential that we come back and, and we worship him for who he is, for all that we're going through as a nation. I know even for myself personally, with some of the, the challenges uh, we, we've had this year, it's just been so centering just to be able to come back. And even, even when our gathered worship has been so different, to be able to have times when just you worship him, you immerse your mind in the word of God. You, you turn on a, a, the music and you let you either sing along or you just let some of those words wash over you and just remind you uh, to recognize and give a, attribution to and declare and refocus on the worth of Jesus Christ. Worship him because when he is in the right place, when he is the one who we are truly worshiping, everything else will fall into its appropriate place in our life. Worship him, receive him. Receive him. Uh, that if he is who he claims to be, if he is this unique revelation of God and he has done this unique thing for us, then I need to receive. And again, we invite you. If you've never ever done that, help. Let us help you. Understand that, to take that step. And as you receive him, follow him. If he is all that John claimed that he is to be, then we should be all in and all out for the all in all, right? I mean, we, he is worthy of not only worship, but he is worthy of passionate, hot-hearted following of him. Follow him with all of your being and then trust him. Trust him. I know life may seem out of control. I know there may seem like there's more questions than answers. I know perhaps some of the plans have been derailed and you don't know what's around the corner. Trust him. Trust him. For the one who went to that extent 
to reveal himself to us, the one who was willing to die so that you and I might live. He can be trusted. Trust him. You know, the founding fathers have gotten a little more attention, the founding fathers of our nation. And in the past couple years, uh, uh, spurred on in, in some sense by the, the, the success of the musical Hamilton. And one of the founding fathers uh, that maybe hasn't got his own musical yet, for sure, uh, it was a man by the name of Patrick Henry. Patrick Henry was actually unique. He was very, very instrumental in, in the Revolutionary War period, but he, he actually refused uh, some federal offices along the way. And perhaps if you can remember from your schooling years of history, you might remember Patrick Henry, one of his most famous lines was kind of stirring people up toward the revolution. And he said, give me liberty or give me death. But what many folks don't know is that he was a follower of Jesus Christ. And toward the end of his days, he served as governor of Virginia and in, in so many other areas. He said, the most cherished possession I wish I could leave you is my faith in Jesus Christ. For with him and nothing else, you can be happy. But without him and with all else, you'll never be happy. I think John might echo the same words. Come to understand who Jesus Christ is. Worship him. Receive him. Follow him. Trust him. That will be the key to your life.